Charlotte Soccer Show. John Hayes, Danny Brands. At the house. In, in the Z-Shed. In the shed, baby. It, it's good to be here for another episode of the show. As we wind down this inaugural season for Charlotte FC, Danny Brands. It's been months since we got to tape in the Z-Shed. It feels good. It feels good to be back. You know, I see the vintage golf clubs over there in the corner. Finn's running around on the grass. We're keeping mosquito free out here. It's nice. It is, and we've got a couple of beers as well. Uh, so what you drinking? I, I picked these up. These pints from Rhino Market earlier today. Small and, man. And I've got the Noda Pitchside Pills. As good as it gets. Yeah. Easy drinking, light beer on a on a Wednesday, post Champions League window. Uh, it's it's early evening here in Charlotte. Uh, it's a great beer to have, Danny Bram. How about you? What do you? It's what are you always drinking? the the pitchside pills. Always a staple of the of the tailgate party down at McNick Street. They give that's uh, one of your options if you go. Can't go wrong with join Noda. MCC and uh, and get going there. I went with uh, another brewery, local brewery that you can't go wrong, and that's Triple C, putting out the River Tube Session IPA. And I mean, what could be better than floating down the river in a tube drinking a beer? And that's exactly what this beer tastes like. Uh, one of my great. Pastimes from my days back in Texas. Lots of great rivers in Central Texas, and we've done a lot of floats. It's been a while. I might need to get back and do it again, to be honest, because I miss it. Oh, too bad Charlotte FC's season has gone floating down that same river with you, Danny Brand. <laughs> and I, I don't know if there's anybody down the other end to pick them up and bring them back. Because yeah. It might have been up shit creek, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> we, we've got to, What we've got to do is look at this table, Danny. we got to be realistic and drop, a, drop a, a truth bomb on the people, the tremendous friends of the show that we appreciate so much, who, by the way, we'll get to your questions in a little bit, but th- those those MLS standings in the Eastern Conference, Char- Charlotte FC now drops below Atlanta United. The, the standings looked a, a lot better a month ago. I'm just going to tell you that right now. On, on 32 points, tied for second to last in the Eastern Conference. With a team that we have to play still. We, we will, we're tied with Chicago Fire, and we will be playing them in Chicago in a couple weeks. D.C. United, six points back. And is Charlotte in the race for the wooden spoon at this point? Yes. Yes, they are. And, and the reason why is because against FC Cincinnati on the road on, on Saturday in the rain, it was another 90 minutes, Danny Brams, where uh, Charlotte FC didn't register a, a tally on the board. Right. And it was another one of those games where we looked really good early, where we quote-unquote dominated possession, where we led by far on the stat sheet when it came to shots. But here's the problem. They're empty possession. It's empty shots. You know, we got a lot of shots off. Yeah, one of those shots was Kerwin Vargas firing off with his left foot from 30 yards away when we had four attackers running, sweeping into the box on a sweeping counterattack move, and he completely wasted it. So shots are nice. Shots on goal are even nicer. And goals are great. We had one of those three. We didn't have the other two. How, how do how we get here is, is the question, because it's not just, and the reason why I say another 90 minutes without any goals is because it's the second match in a row mm-hmm. for Charlotte FC. With without any goals, and yeah, it's it's three matches with just one goal. If you take it all the way back to the home match against Orlando, which may have been could could that have been the turning point where things finally 
was the nail in the coffin or was it earlier? I think that's the discussion we need to have today. Right. At what point did the harsh truth of the season come down on you as a fan, come down on the dressing room, come down on interim boss, Christian Latanzio, the front office? At what point did, did people think for the first time this ain't going to happen this year? that the playoffs is, is, is out of the race and this team is going to flounder to the finish because that's ultimately what's happening. And that's the, that's the harsh reality of this franchise right now is that unless in the, the final four matches of the season the crown can catch lightning in the bottle, then it's over and it's time to throw the dirt into the ground <laughs> and bury the season. Don't forget, it's it's the final four point seven matches of the season because we do have the Columbus makeup, the fi- the finishing of the Columbus match that is currently nil nil in the seventeenth minute <laughs> with uh, with Christian Fuchs suspended for a red card that he got in the Toronto game. So yeah, uh, we do have that one to look forward to. So let's call it four point seven. Still a chance in in theory to get fifteen points. What would if we if we threw fifteen points on top of what we had right now that gets us to forty seven, which currently would be good for third if nobody else played any matches. Unfortunately, they all have five matches left to go as well. And would forty seven points get us in the playoffs when seventh is currently sitting on thirty eight and it's a big tie and there's a lot of teams to jump? It might, but there were eighteen points would have gotten us a lot more. Back when Brant Bronico told us it's time to go six to six, twenty four points would have gotten us a hell of a lot more. Back when Christian Kalina told us that it was eight finals in a row that we had to play. So the talk has been there. The results haven't been there. We've, uh, we're sitting on our worst losing streak of the season. And uh, Two players that you mentioned, Danny Brams, that I like have strong takes on, Christian Kalina and Brant Bronico. So, take, since, so since you mentioned Take it that, away, baby. We're here, we're here to talk. I just, but you gather your thoughts on those two, and let me just set the stage here a little bit. Because okay. for the last six weeks or so, I have made a concerted effort to be more positive about this club. <laughs> I think we started the season kind of as, as the critical voice. We saw ourselves as the people who were sort of giving it to you straight when some of the other, when when there's a lot of excitement and positivity and like, you know, no shade to anybody else that's out there creating Charlotte FC content, but we felt just on our level that we had a little bit more of a realistic approach. From and the for, very beginning from of the, the season. From the very beginning of the season, Which, yeah. And we predicted Charlotte FC to finish on the table uh, at pretty much exactly where they are right, <laughs> right now. Right, exactly. I, I think that I chose 10th, and that's still very much alive. Yeah, that, that's probably where we're going to end up, to be honest, if not 11th at this point. But for the six weeks, like I said, and the, uh, roughly six weeks, I don't have an exact pinpoint time when this happened, but I said to myself, I've been too negative on the show. I don't know if I've been talked to you about this, John, but I was like... Well, I, I saw need, your hashtag. I need positive. I need hashtag positive Brams to make an appearance. But guess what? That's all out the window tonight, baby. We're going back to our roots because the team hasn't delivered. For all my positivity, as a cool breeze blows in here to the Z shed and as the dogs are barking in the neighborhood, let me just say my positivity didn't get me or the club or the supporters jack shit. It did nothing for us. All it did was bring me down even further and dash my hopes even more when the, the club couldn't deliver results on the pitch. So I'm putting that to the side. I'm going to start telling it like it is once again. 
you can tell me if if I was get, it was too annoying with my with my hyperbole and uh, positive spin in the past, but it's about to go down. So I want to hear your takes. I've got some takes of my own to fire up, and I think that it's a mystery. We're trying to solve a mystery here. Who killed Charlotte FC's season? You know, was it was it uh, Mr. Cronetta in the in the vault? You know, with the lead pipe. What you know? Was it uh, was it Camille Yusviak with the noose uh, in the conservatory? Who what, knows? Was it was it Nick Kelly in the bar with a knife? <laughs> it could have been. It could have very well been that one for sure. But the club's season, for all intents and purposes, is going to end short of the goals, and so that means we need to break it down. You said you got some takes on Bronico and Kalina. Let's hear what you got. Kalina has struggled in the second half of the year after I announced on this podcast that he was my first half of the season MVP. Yeah. Right? And, and after that conversation, he's just fallen off the face of the earth. That's number one. Number two, Brant Bronico wore the captain's armband after we called for it on the show. Right. Right. The next match. Yeah. After the party. Yeah. You said give it to him. Give him the C, baby. And they did. And uh, do you think that put any more pressure on him against that in Cincinnati in that match? Uh, definitely. He he is guilty of of sort of he's sort of the 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 catalyst for how Cincinnati got their first goal against us. He had a foul. You know, we don't. It's more vibes than tactics on this show a lot of times. Although I do know you love your tactical view. I do. But uh, I rewatched Cincinnati t- this morning while I was at the gym. So I'm all, you know I'm powering away doing some cardio rewatching Charlotte FC play Cincinnati right and I'm just. First thing I saw was Ben Bender losing possession within the first 45 seconds of the match. That was nothing new. But what I saw on the goal, if we break it down, they scored in like the 38th, 39th minute, but you got to go all the way back to the 34th, 35th minute because we are defending in Cincinnati's half. Cincinnati's trying to advance out of their own half. Brant Bronico, the captain for that match, first time all season, commits a foul. Okay, you commit a foul, that's fine. He's a, he Brant's going to commit fouls, it's fine. Yeah. Stops the play. Gives them a free kick that they send deep, which we kind of struggled for a second to clear. Then we did finally clear it out back to midfield, and then Rios actually got fouled. There was the, since he, we should have had a free kick here going back our way because Rios's arm was grabbed that the ref missed, but that helped Cincy to retain possession after our clearance. They kicked it back into the center circle. Brant gets really aggressive, goes after it, tries to start a counter attack. It tries to dip his foot in and then get around a guy. Commits another foul. Okay, so now we fouled them twice when they were back in their own end. All of a sudden, they've advanced the ball past midfield without even really having to do anything in possession. They've got two free kicks off of it. So then Acosta sends the free kick deep. Horrible, horrible defending. Brandon Vasquez essentially unmarked at the back post from this long free kick forward. And we had three guys watching somebody else. Vasquez sends a a dangerous header back into the box that could have easily found a foot for a goal against us right, right off that. But we, we, someone kicks it out for a corner. One of our guys kicks it out for a corner. So now we got another set piece. So we've just faced two set pieces in a row that we kind of struggled with. Now we got another one, this time coming from the corner instead of from deep. Corner kick comes in. Everyone's looking around like they don't know what to do with it. And we were lucky to get We just kick it out of there, clear it again for another corner. And so finally then, after the fourth set piece in a row that Cincinnati has gotten us in like two and a half minutes of play, they... Acosta with the free kick, the corner kick, goes into space, 
Adilson, everyone's kind of looking around, facing their second corner king in a row, not really knowing what to do. Melanda and Bender are sort of marking Nick Hagland, who sneaks in there, one of the Cincinnati center backs, who has not scored since May of 2021, I believe is what I heard, if I heard that correctly. And he's been growing his hair long until he scores another goal. <laughs> he finally gets to get a haircut thanks to ending his goal drought against us. Great, great news there. And he's free in the box and has really a wide open shot with two guys falling all over him. He shot it and then got crushed by Bender falling on top of him, but it was too late. The goal was already in. And, you know, Brant started that. The two Brant fouls started that, and I think he was forcing the issue a little bit as the captain. That second foul that sort of sent them on their way, I think was a mistake of a play, and I think it was just showed him trying too hard. I've got to say a couple things. and The first one is... Willie P, he he better watch out because his job's in jeopardy based on that play-by-play that you just delivered here. <laughs> I on could the never, I could never, I could never. Uh, I, but I, I wouldn't want Jessica's job in that in that role. Like, I mean that that was some some serious play-by-play description from Danny Brams, and like literally that in, in relation to Brant Bronico's performance at this point for me to even consider. A average Brant Bronico performance as a critical performance when you look at SofaScore and you see him rate it as a 6.8, which is a as an average match for someone who played a decent midfield. I wouldn't even consider his fouling an issue. I wouldn't consider that goal anything really to do with my rating of Brant Bronico. My point is just like he wore the captain's badge. And that is the future of the club. Yeah. Right? Like so while you're thinking on a on a more micro micro level. Micro action. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. I'm for I'm, a for a micro brewery? Exactly. I I'm thinking about it from a totally different point of view. And that's at this point in our lost season, you know, you might as well be jacked down there on the beach. You're lost. Yeah. <laughs> where where do I go? I'm just looking for somebody to save. I'm running around with the plane's about to explode, and it's like, who can I save? Yes. Yeah, I get that's how I that look. That's a really good analogy. Brandt did look like Jack Shepard out there for sure on the beat in Lost. Uh, he also had the big chance. He had he had one really nice chance. Oh, it was in a the beautiful box. chance. It got blocked. May, maybe took one touch too many. Could have first time again. It, way too but, critical. It was a beautiful chance. It was. Hey. It was it a, he got me. the shot off, and it was blocked. You know how much I love BB thirteen. I mean, I, I'm not I, like I'm just trying to keep it real here. I'm just trying to keep it real. But the fact of the matter is, as we kind of move through this mystery, everything you said about the the macro level is true. Brant is a future captain of this club. He's the hometown hero who has put in the work to become one of the best players on the team. And when we are trying to solve this mystery that I alluded to at the beginning of the year, who killed Charlotte F season? We're clearing him of all charges. Brant Bronico, you're exonerated, you're absolved, and you have no issues in what happened here this year. Other people that might? Ben Bender, Christian Fuchs, Joseph Mora. I mentioned Christian Kalina, right? But but more so than anybody, Christian Latanzia. Right. There's a, there's a group of, of players and, and, and a coach, an interim manager who's, who's associated with this squad who – Realistically, when you look back at at availability, minutes played, contribution to goals scored, or clean sheets, 
a lot of the best defense was played under Miguel Angel Ramirez. Yeah. And that's when our defensive back line was together and the, the, the structure of our squad. That's how this team was built, to build out of the back. And, and MAR did a nice job at that, at that spine. We got to be fair. That's when Carujo was playing at his peak also. And losing him in the, in the you know, slightly halfway through the season has been a big blow for sure. Right. I still think that's that's an accessory to the charge. That, that we're, we're not, you know, you're, you're not getting indicted for Carujo's injury. I think we still had a chance. Carujo's injury should not have sunk us. It was a big blow. It's something we wish had not happened. But if that's what cost us the playoffs then we weren't a really good team to begin with. And, and you have to look up top in, in this match specifically when, when it comes to Christian Latanzio and his selection of Danny Rios at the striker position. It's a selection that shows that you're just experimenting with players who have looked good in training Yeah. rather than your actual so I, selected first 11. I've heard that story twice this year about he looked really good in training and I wanted to reward that. I've heard it two times. One was from Latanzio putting Rios in over Swiderski, one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen in my life. The other time was MAR saying that Adam Armour has looked really good in training and has been working in training and working his balls off to get better, and he wanted to reward him with some playing time. And you know when that was? That was before the at Atlanta match when Adam Armour came in and scored the first goal of Charlotte FC's history. So two, it's good to reward guys who are working hard in training early in the season, in your third and fourth and fifth match of the season. When you're 80% of the way through the season and every game is a must-win, you don't reward the guy for looking good in training and bench your designated player, your highest-paid player, your goal scorer, and then you watch yourself get seven shots in the first half against a bad team or a mediocre team, let's say, Cincinnati, and none of them are on target because you don't have Swiderski in there. Who's the guy that can get shots on target? The difference between MAR and Christian Latanzio, the biggest difference is that he, MAR, was biased towards... His eleven, he had his eleven, and he. This is that is how he was going to play, and those players were going to get the minutes, and he was going to run them. Mm-hmm. Latanzio is the players' manager who gives everybody a chance, mm-hmm. which is when you think back to the origin of the breakup, is that Mar was a controlling figure, that some players were unhappy with his, the selection of players, mm-hmm. and now the interim manager comes in. And all the players are getting a chance. Sure. Everybody's in a squad rotation. Right. It's, but, it's, it's a squad rotation at the most crucial time of the year. You don't have an 11, and that's why you lose. And at times that has looked like it paid off because, like, oh, Latanzio comes back in and Titi's back in after MAR had banished him from the, for the at Orlando loss. And Titi got his chance, and he was horrible. And he eventually ended up leaving the club. But who else did Latanzio give a chance that MAR didn't give a chance to? Jordi Reyna. Reyna went out there and took the most of his chance. He was completely unlocked and like looked like a new man, looked better than he ever has in MLS. And yet, and now he's in witness protection. Here was the pro- exactly to keep the analogy going of the murder. But the problem was that Latanzio keeps experimenting. He doesn't just stop when he's hit. You know, he's when he, he's like betting on a winner, and then he decides to change his bet. Yeah, he's going seven you know? eleven doubles, seven yeah. eleven doubles. <laughs> yeah, he gets his number, and he wants and he wants to throw the dice again. Yeah, and and try to hit it on that first roll. Right. And sometimes, yeah, he gets it right, but then when he makes a change and gets it wrong, you know what he does again? He rolls it again. Right. So it's an endless cycle <laughs> yeah. of throwing the dice. Shin Yashiki comes in and plays a bunch of games and gets starts to get some minutes and scores a bunch now of goals. Now he's out. And now he's out. And now we've got 
you know, 22-year-old Kerwin Vargas out there. And, you know. Who, by the way, let me just shout this out. Did you see his rating from Saturday night? 7.7. Were they, were they given extra points for drawing fouls and rolling around like you got hurt when you weren't really hurt? Or uh, he, he was 93% <laughs> passing, 30 accurate passes. He had 13 crosses. Five were accurate. That's a big number. Thirteen crosses is a big number. Think about that, Danny Brams. Like if if that if if Vargas is going to deliver like that, Swiderski needs to be on the end of those balls. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And Yusviak high rating also. And it wasn't. I'm. I don't think that Vargas and Yusviak should be the starting wing combo for this team. And yet they're still not really the problem. So we can't really say that that's the problem because they've actually had good matches. If you go back a couple matches, they're usually two of the higher rated guys. Maybe that's just a, a product of the system and the fact that they're forced into a lot of defensive work on the wings, which that, you know, an attacker getting defensive stats will probably boost your ratings on the sofa score. So you could think about that. Uh, I don't know. It just, he puts in Sobosinski. Sobosinski is a little bit banged up, so that's probably why Milanda's in there. But another guy who got in was Walks. Once MAR was gone, he wasn't playing under MAR, but once Latanzio took over, Walks it, started it's to play a lot more. squad rotation. And Walks has had his good ups and downs, and the downs have been pretty down. And and the latest player to take part in that squad rotation, who maybe we'll see start on Saturday at the Keep, is Nuno Santos. We talked a lot about him on our last episode. We were hoping for him to get the full debut he didn't he came on as a substitute maybe he'll get that full debut on saturday at the keep it's the rematch against nycfc and it's, it's at gotta our, happen it, it's at our home stadium it's which gotta is nice. at least they get to come to a nice you know home stadium <laughs> and get an atmosphere at a soccer match we're, we're recording this on a wednesday and later tonight new york city fc hosts cincinnati who we just played actually uh in a pretty big playoff implication match they're playing at City Field because Yankee Stadium is being used by the Yankees, and because the U.S. Open's going on out there in Queens, there's no parking for New York City FC fans yeah, I was let, say. allowed in the state. I was, say, in the I, stadium. I was planning to watch the quarterfinals tonight. Yeah, I was, I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you will have a chance to watch it, but if you are NYCFC fan, you better take the train because you can't take your car out there and park. Unfortunately, that's that's how messed up their situation is, and yet ours still feels worse, even though we beat them three 0 and we have to play them on Saturday. U.S. Open Cup final this evening as well. That might be where my eyes actually go. Sacramento trying to be the first team below MLS in the second division to win the U.S. Open Cup, I think, since 99. That'd be I'll amazing. double check that. It's the, it's the Charlotte Soccer Show. We're coming back, though, because I want to talk to Danny Brams about Nuno Santos. I want to talk to Danny Brams about his debut, obviously the big mistake that led to Cincinnati's second goal. You can debate who's to blame, but not the ideal start for Charlotte's new boy I, in the midfield. I still need to solve this mystery of who killed the season as well, so we're going to keep keep digging on that one. We're back after this. In the Z shed, it's the Charlotte Soccer Show. Danny Brands, John Hayes. I'm here. I'm, I'm literally at my house. <laughs> We're in the house, most definitely in the shed. And I switched to a pitch side pills, by the way. I'm joining you with another pitch side. Cheers to that for round two here. Uh, it, it's it's a cold beer to to start uh, a segment that we're gonna get a little deep into the the dark waters outside the keep. 
Yep. And we're going to try to figure out what and, what's down under there, and and and, and what has really and, uh, it, come to to claim the castle. And who could be our our new knight in shining armor? You know, our new No in Santos armor, perhaps, if you will. His his interview at halftime. This is a perfect time to shout out someone who. Uh, I, I have massive respect for after that interview. I thought it was a really cool bilingual interview with Eric Krakauer. We had Nuno Santos at halftime of the match. I heard that. Yeah. And I just thought that was like a really awesome uh, way to communicate with the fans. It was so smart to do that interview, and the, the fact that Eric could pull it off right. was pretty sweet. Yeah, he's got those Portuguese roots, right? Exactly. Uh, if, you, if you listen to him tell his life story, on Mint City Soccer Show, he he went deep onto how he fell in love with the game growing up in Portugal, which was awesome. Yeah, so that was that was a really special way to kind of start the the Nuno Santos introduction because you got to hear from him at halftime before we went into the match. Right, right, right. Exactly, so it was like that made exactly. the that made the that made the experience that much better. But is it too little, too late? That's the question. It feels that way, and while the theme of Tonight's show is the dark places that this club has now gone to. You have to admit that there is one glimmer of hope. That when you look up, you you say, "Is there a creative midfielder in the future for this club?" And, I, and I'm not ready to make a decision after after a mistake like like he made from a from a poor ball from Christian Kalina, right? I don't blame that solely on either player. It's and a miscommunication. Yeah, yeah and exactly. Kalina, Kalina makes the pass and doesn't yell, man on, man on. You right. know, that's what you need to do if you're the goalkeeper in that situation. But other than that, I thought that he, you know, he settled in, he looked like he was fit, and I'd be interested to see how he can do in the midfield ahead of somebody like Ben Bender and and McNeil. Yeah, Bender, ups and downs in the season, but he has to be one of our suspects when it comes down to who the – the continued insistence on getting Bender minutes, it may pay off years down the road, but it's hurt us this year. And so he has to be he has to be called in for questioning when it comes when we're trying to solve this mystery, bro. I mean, like I'm not saying he's the, the guilty party, but let's figure out how did Bender really help this team at all after the month of May? Did he even uh, did he even do anything? You know, he scored a consolation goal in one of our losses. He had some assists. He kicked so, the flag. So what, you're, so what you're saying? I thought he was going to be rookie of the year. So what he, you're saying is there's no that, chance that he's newcomer of the year now. Is that Mar got the best out of him and Christian Latanzio <laughs> did not? <laughs> I didn't know I was saying that, but you just made me realize that's exactly what I was saying. Yes, the problem is Latanzio keeps playing them without 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 being able to get the best out of him. He keeps sending him out there, and I, I'll be honest, I wanted to see Nuno start the last match. I agree with you as far as it was cool to get to know him a little more before he subbed in. But I would have I would have started if he can only go forty five minutes, play in the first forty five minutes. But like, change it up. If you're going to be experimental with the lineup, how about we put our new signing in instead of benching our most important player and 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 starting Danny Rios? From well, the he he here. said that Latanzio did in the the pre match press conference that Santos wasn't ready to go the full ninety. Right. So, but, but if he can only go to forty-five minutes, what's more important—the first forty-five or the second forty-five? That makes sense. I would think more sixty, but you're right. But maybe at the end of the day, there was only thirty. Yeah, there was a, there was a cap at thirty minutes. I, I don't know, but I, I do need to quote. You said you know we've talked about Nuno as sort of this ray of hope. Let me quote my boy Yoda and say no, there is another, because Nathan Byrne caught the eye. Nathan Byrne caught the eye for sure coming in. Looks like our attacking right back of the future. Harrison Affle 
a veteran who has contributed a few things to this club, not much, but he did have a game-winning goal in the Cup, so we'll never forget that, obviously. But Nathan Byrne, this is his job. From Just from the short stretch that I saw of him playing, what, uh, five minutes? <laughs> it's a take. I'm, I'm giving him it's the a job. Take. It's a take. I, you know how I feel about Jalen Knuckles, Lindsey, and I would love to – I think Lindsey got done dirty by being benched for the Cincinnati game after he had played really well in the previous match. I think switching back and forth between Mora Fuchs, Afo Lindsay, blah, blah, that's just part of the Latanzio problem, and we're going to actually put him on notice for that a little bit in a moment or two. But I love Jalen Lindsay, but I really liked what I saw from Nathan Byrne. He's winning rave reviews in training. Uh, people that know the game are bragging him up. Just knowing what he's accomplished already in his career, he's much more accomplished at Derby than... Uh, Camille Yusviak was, and so I, I, I'm ready to give him the starting right back job. When you started with that take, I was, thought to myself, did I miss something? And then you said that he came on for five minutes, and I was like, okay, no, I didn't miss anything. He caught the eye. I didn't do the re- he caught the eye. I, since I didn't do the rewatch, you did the rewatch. I, I was like, wait a minute, did he come on for 30 or 40 minutes? No. And no, he, he came on cameo. for five. He had a cameo. He flashed. But hey, he flashed. Know. He wowed I, you. He was attractive. Nuno's our style. guy. Yes. Nuno's our guy, but we we appreciate and recognize what Byrne could bring to this club also. It's too little too late. I, I, I'm i not denying that. I, the fact that we wait till the deadline to sign these guys who we probably had our eye on and just, like, waited, get, put it off a few weeks to save money, most likely, like, it sucks. Because I wish these guys could have already been incorporated in the squad two or three weeks ago. And, and maybe we don't lose at home to Orlando if they're ready by then. You know, if we'd signed them a couple weeks earlier. Maybe... We don't look like we just are trying too hard against Cincinnati and just couldn't really pull it off. Maybe we don't, you know, maybe we get our revenge against Toronto is what I want to say. Like, I'm not saying these guys would make all the difference in what is a pretty bad three-game stretch of six goals allowed and one scored, but they would have made some difference. Zoran Cornetta, somebody who waited till the last day. Mm Mm-hmm. Waiting until the last minute, until the clock <laughs> right. struck 12 right. to sign these three players, knowing that their impact probably wouldn't come until right. the playoff race was already over. So We know how long the visa process and all that takes, for sure. Was he the one that made the decision at that point that this season was now lost? I have gone to a judge, and I have submitted evidence to get a warrant for Zoran Karedina to come in as well. But before I go... Cuff Zorin in this investigation that we're doing here. There's someone we got to talk to first, and that's Christian Latanzio. Everything we're complaining about the players, everything we're complaining about guys in the wrong spots, about lineup changes, about lack of passion. I'm talking about a moment that I saw in this rewatch I did this morning of during a stoppage in play, Anton Walks goes over to talk to Latanzio, and Christian's just like, waving his hands around and Latanzio's looking at him like what? What like what am I supposed what are you trying to tell me? You know, it's not you know, there's no language barrier there. They're both speaking English in that case. Uh I just don't think he's the guy for game days. He won rave reviews as an assistant for his player development role and he seems like a training coach, if you will. People have talked about, oh, it, we definitely need a new coach next year, but I hope he stays in a, on a, a role for player development, maybe. Maybe. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. I'm not 
really for or against that necessarily. If he, I, I probably think it's unlikely to happen because you just don't stick. A, you don't take a demotion like it's very rare that someone just takes a demotion like that and like stays where they were. But it happens. So Latanzio is somebody that we need to to investigate. And and how about how about David Tepper? Is well, is he someone that you've considered? Because my question at this point is, how much money would it take to buy Charlotte FC from David Tepper? <laughs> can we get the TFOs? <laughs> can, say, <laughs> can we get everyone to pitch in as much as they possibly can, and maybe we can take the club over from him? I don't know. How about if we just? How much money would it cost to convince him to put in some damn natural grass? <laughs> you know, it could, can the Queens Guard put a GoFundMe together so that David Tepper doesn't take any? Uh, loss on the PNL sheet when it comes to changing out the grass every few months so that we can keep a fresh turf in there. It's ridiculous. I'm not saying that he's doing a terrible job. Like, caught- and, and I'll say that I'm still of the belief that him buying the club meant that we got professional soccer here in Charlotte. Right? So sure. I, I still give him credit for that. But he's allowed to sell for more than he bought it for. And consider it a success. So go right ahead and sell it to somebody who wants to invest in a grass pitch, who wants to invest in... I know there's a an, an event that was just announced at the new Charlotte FC headquarters and practice facility in, there in East Charlotte, East Charlotte yeah. right? And there's, there's an event there on September 28th. You get to meet the players celebrating Hispanic heritage. Can't wait. So that, that is really Before cool. For the corona, baby. And it's really special. But let's see what he can do with that facility, right? Right. Let's see what he can do with a potential new stadium here in Charlotte. Let's hope he's listening, not to us. I, I know he's not listening to this show, but I hope he's listening to the voices that are out there that are saying... Like, hey, man, you didn't do good enough in your first year as an MLS owner. You're the richest owner in the league, and players were available. Designated players were available. Look at who came into this league in the it, after the season started. Look at the look at the imports to this league. You're talking about Gareth Bale. You're talking about Lorenzo Insigne. These are World Cup type players. You're talking about Federico Bernadeschi, who's one of the up and comers in Italy, who's going to play on their World Cup teams in the future. You're talking about Jefferson Savarino. Okay, he came from the Brazilian league uh, to Real Salt Lake and has completely changed their season around. He's the, easily their best player. And what is he? A right winger. Oh, imagine a right winger who can cut in and score goals. Imagine that. So then you even you can go even further. LAFC just brought in another new guy named Dennis Buanga like two weeks ago that is a great attacking winger player. So like great players were out there available. I could I I should probably google like MLS D- incoming DPs. These are all DPs I'm talking about except for Bale who uh, was on a you know on a cheap contract cuz he he's kind of at the end of his career but he's still good enough to dominate MLS when he is out there. What I'm saying is all those guys were available and we brought in Camille Yusviak who was a squad player on a relegated EFL championship team that's now in the third division in England and it's just not good enough when you're the richest owner. You point. When did this whole thing start, John? When you, when the MLS salary list came out after a couple of weeks of the season, and and that's when we first started getting ourselves, you know, some controversial stuff on Twitter. When you put that out there and you just said, "Hey, the the commitment, the financial commitment is not there with this team," and it's obvious. And now we're bearing the fruits of that months down the line. So he's somebody else. That when we think about the season just floating away. 
maybe he's the one that that let go of the balloon. <laughs> wow, wow, brilliant. So he did. He let go of the balloon, and uh, that's just, there's no better way to say it. And it, it has not so, has failed to soar. Unfortunately, it, I think it was full of some bunk helium, and it's sinking. So, who is it? Here's the deal. I've gathered all the evidence. We've talked about suspects. We've talked about accomplices. We've talked about conspirators. The guilty party is Christian Latanzio. Ultimately, Latanzio's the guy making the decisions. He could be getting marching orders from above, but he could go against those orders. That's the thing. So it's it, He's the one that submits the lineups. And the lineups have been wrong. You talked about it. We have not found our 11. You talked about it earlier in this episode. You said, we don't have an 11. And I, we thought, we did an episode earlier this year. The Undroppables. Said, yeah, where we said, we found our 11. I think the yeah. title of the episode was, we found our yeah. 11. And then it was like completely changed like two games later. And it's continued to change since then. So ultimately, the guilt for killing Charlotte FC's playoff chances lies with Christian Latanzio. That's, that's my verdict. But here's the twist. Here's the twist. He was put up to it by a conspirator in the front office, the sporting director for all practical purposes, Zorn Cronetta. Zorn did not do enough to give Latanzio the tools he needed to make this dream happen. And so if we stick with the analogy... Latanzio killed the season and Zorn put him up to it. That's my take. There's there's lights out front of the house. The the cop cars are pulling in. It's sirens are blaring, baby. It's that scene and it's a set where they're both taken out of the house in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And we know that Latanzio's not going to be the coach of this team next year. We we know that. We just intu- you intuitively know that if he is if he, if, we're, if if he's on the touchline match one in twenty twenty three, then this then this show will probably uh, spontaneously combust. Well, and, and here's the difference, right? <clears throat> because between the two of these two guys, who are who are now getting their heads shoved under the the back seat and and they're being dragged out to the public square, you know. Let's, the cops got him, but let's go medieval times. Let's <laughs> let's take it all the way back. I mean, the, the executioner's sharpening his axe. But but only one who has been sentenced for life, and it's Latanzio because he's the one who committed the crime. He is. Zoran Cronetta still has a glimmer of hope, right? That gets him out behind bars, and that is these three new signings. Right. That's exactly right. That's a great way to put it because. We still don't know how Nuno and Byrne are going to work out. Melanda looks really good. I call him at fault for the haggling goal that put us behind against Cincinnati, but he still looks pretty good, and he's got the height and just the silkiness and the vision to be a really great young center back in this league. thing is, there's very few great center backs in MLS. <laughs> this is kind of like uh, it's a feature, not a bug Except of this league. Except for on Charlotte FC to start this season, we were loaded at that position. We were. Carujo was one of the best And in you the know league, what Latanzio does? He doesn't play one of those players at that position. He plays him at left back. Right. He just has... He 
that's that's part of why he's the guilty party. That's that's some evidence that we have against him, and that's why he was ultimately convicted in my mind because his inability to adapt his style to his personnel. The, the, what's the difference between the, the easiest way for me to tell a good coach between a bad coach in any sport is a good coach adapts their style to the personnel. A bad coach tries to force their personnel into the style. That's that's as simple as it gets for me. It, and Latanzio would not adjust his style. He he fashioned Fuchs as a left back. He fashions Andre as a central player when he's perfectly fine scoring goals from playing from the wing. And that cost us dearly because we were always caught with like and if Fuchs wants Fuchs ha, is a center back in my mind but has some attacking verve like he can get up there and play that's why we should have been playing let's it I don't know if we ever called for this I'm not trying to say that I like have been some genius all along but in retrospect why were we not playing three at the back before Carujo's injury even I'm talking walks Carujo Fuchs as a three at the back and We've got all these wingers that we didn't have at the beginning of the year, but by that point in the season, they were starting to come in. That allows us a lot more flexibility. <laughs> because we we committed early, and the club did as well, to a back four. And there was never the thought of a back three. There was one match, I remember vividly, where the broadcast was talking about a potential back three, and it was all just false hope. right? They s- settled back into their their shape and had four in the back. They, they just never, both Miguel Angel Ramirez and Christian Latanzio are not back three coaches. They're back four coaches, and that's how they've managed this squad throughout the season, and they were never going to make that change to the back three, but maybe a new manager will. Pep Guardiola, <laughs> let me say that again. <laughs> Pep Guardiola. <laughs> Cheers uh, to the Pilsner. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Pep Guardiola. He, Do you know how many names I've pronounced wrong on this show? He sometimes plays a back three and sometimes plays a back four. And he adapts his style to the opponent, to the personnel. He gets guys doing multiple things. He has versatility. And the reason I name drop him is because he's pretty much recognized as the best manager in the world today for and has been for a few years. And a good manager is going to be more flexible it's a wild ass league it's a crazy ass game you got a young ass thrown together team in many respects that and you can't just say oh i'm playing a back four no matter what every time no give me a break try something you're losing by the way you we have never ever had a winning record ever in the history of the club the best we were if i remember right was was three and four. Now Under, you're getting. Now I you're getting. Think, now you're getting sadistic, bro. We got ourselves to three Come and on. four, Come and on. like we we don't need to, we don't need to continue <laughs> to stab the dead body. <laughs> it's been removed from the house. Send it to the morgue, baby. But we still have these games left. I don't know. I don't want to send it to the morgue just yet. I still have. You know, I'm about to call Doctor Frankenstein and see if he can reanimate this thing. Listen, you can't. Uh, again, back three, back four. Who cares? But I'm just saying, like, adapt. You, what I, the whole th- conversation started based on what you said, which I agree with, which is that Fuchs is a center back, not a left back. That's all. It's the Charlotte Soccer Show, and I think we've done our job tonight. Yeah, Zorn, you're on probation. Latanzio, you're thrown into the hole <laughs> for a life sentence 
He's and, not. He's not coming back as the the manager, and that's to be clear what these analogies are all about. Right. That he's not coming back as the the full time manager next season, and if he does. Then we're gonna have to hire a few more investigators. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And this was a shoddy job by Danny Brams in early September in South Charlotte. I'm John Hayes. He's Danny Brams. We have one more thing to do before we get out of here, Danny Brams. Let's talk to the Queens Guard and uh, they talk to us. We've got to answer questions from all the people who were so interested in the crime scene. You know, the the the, the chief of police is headed outside now to the podium. <laughs> And he's, and he's got to face the music about everything that's going on under his watch. And that's you, Danny Brams. That's you, Danny Brams. So I want to ask put you me on, You're going to put me on rapid fire? That's that's how we... Here's the deal. That's while how you, we love to end a show. While you queue up the questions, and we do, we, we do look at these events and we like them all on Twitter to uh, boost the engagement numbers, but we don't always just like plan out what order we're going to do them. And so John's going to sort of scroll through these and hit me rapid fire. Let me just say that... We may or may not be the best Charlotte FC podcast out there. That's for the world to debate. But we have the best listeners. Not even close. Yeah. The Queens Guard, the TIFOs, everyone that listens to this show and interacts is by far the best people in the Charlotte community. And we're just happy for the chance to talk to y'all and really pumped that y'all listen. Well, I'm Thank pumped, you. I'm pumped that Mike Umberger, a tremendous friend of the show, he chimes in. Um, and what he says is, should FC look abroad for its replacement of Latanzio or someone tried and true from MLS? This is an incredible question because it really made me think more than I planned to. I can't go rapid fire except to say that I have to go rapid fire on the first question. So, from MLS... We've done enough things our own way. We've bucked the trends and the systems enough. Let's bring in someone who knows a little bit more about this league because Zorn's still learning and a lot of the people in the front office are still learning. Uh, our new friend of the show, the footballista, she says, do you think Christian Pulisic would make a good number 10 for us? I know coming to MLS would be a step back for him, but... Well, about a month and a half ago, Charlotte FC played Chelsea FC, and Pulisic scored against us, and then we came back and won in PKs. And just this morning, Chelsea's coach was fired. So you can knock those dominoes down all the way. You can say that Charlotte FC was the uh, initial domino that led to Chelsea now needing a new coach. But whoever it takes over that club, they've completely misused Kristen Pulisic so far up to this point in his career. And... It's too late, obviously, because the MLS season is about to end. It would be great for him to, if we still had, you know, two months left in the season, I'd say let's go get him right now and get him some regular playing time ahead of the World Cup for the U.S. men's national team. The answer to your question, footballista, is of course. And you're right that it would be a huge step back that I doubt would ever happen. But not only would he make a good number 10 for us, he'd make the best number 10 for us. There's no doubt about that, footballista. And if Christian Pulisic isn't getting... Time for Chelsea ahead of the World Cup. It's he, the spotlight is going to be on him to perform because if he doesn't, right there, there's other players right now in the U.S. system like a Gio Reyna who had a fantastic weekend. Yeah, Eunice Musa looking real, real nice. Brendan Aronson doing his thing. Josh Sargent scoring goals finally. Brandon Vasquez scoring goals in MLS. You know. The, we can't wait for the World Cup. We've got a lot in store for the World Cup on this show. Just Let's just put it that way. 
tremendous friend of the show, Michael Volak. He tweets in, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Talking about Cincy? Yes. I don't know. Do you, uh, if, if That's the question, Danny Rams. How do you answer? That was fucking something. <laughs> the last wall at the last wall. Who on the current roster is a lock starter next year for the crown? Who would be a starter on a supporter shield contending roster? Don't answer the second one. Yeah, too tough. MLS changes year to year. You don't. You never know who's going to be contending oh, that, for supporter but, shield. But at baseline, it's a two-parter. Ah, there you go. No two-part questions. Come on, last wall. You know that. You've been listening long no, enough. No two-part questions. <laughs> who's in the current roster? A lock starter next year for the crown? Let's work backwards. Carol, yes. Bronico, of course. Kenya. No, in my mind, of course. But I'm. If you're trying to predict, is this a prediction or what? Who I want? My bad. I should clarify that real quick. No, like who? Prediction. Lock starter: Swiderski, Bronico, Carujo when he's healthy, and that's it. Every other spot is up for grabs. Walks up for grabs. Both back possessions up for grabs. I would love to answer Nuno Santos, but we haven't seen enough of him this year. 20 minutes ago, I did give the starting right back job to Nathan Burns, so maybe I should mention him. But I'm going with Carol and Bronico, and that's it. I'm And you, there's a name that I did not mention that might stand out. Kalina. Bingo. Thinking back at Nick Kelly's lofty goal of hosting a playoff game. By the way, this comes in from our friend Peter Bread. Pata Bread. Jonathan Pata. The man himself. What instead would have been a realistic year one performance goal? Like if you were going to go into your uh, year-end review and say next year I want to accomplish this, what realistically should Charlotte FC had to take away from that meeting? I love pot of bread, but I reject the question. The goal was fine. It was a, it was a good goal. Nick Kelly set a strong goal that was achievable. It was timely. It was realistic. And the team bottled it. And if you stayed along to the very bitter beer, bourbon, Bronico end of this show, then you've you've got the best question for last. And that's, if you take away the 35,000 fans, the match and the awesome atmosphere at the keep, which, by the way, if you take that away, you've got nothing. So that's the whole point of this show and why Charlotte's a soccer shitty city. Shitty, too. <laughs> Right now, in the current stretch, Danny Brown feels inside. Inside, I'm still. I I know that God don't make no junk, but I am uh, a little down when I think about Charlotte FC these days. His question is: Is this season a colossal failure? PSLs, MAR, DP play, bad roster, experimental lineups, most losses in MLS, our ex-agent GM. Front office turnover, letting a DP fire a coach, Andre on the be- bench, etc. Wow. It's the Charlotte Soccer Show. I'm John Hayes. He's Danny Brams. And until next time, for the crown, baby. <laughs> <laughs>